0: We have peace, it's because of Jesus. And we have this access by faith because of God's grace, God's work in our lives. Grace refers to God's love in action through which we can find true peace.
1: You're looking too far for that need. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Right as you find your seats, we're going to begin studying the Epistle of Colossians. A little book, only four chapters long. I was thinking, um, while that last song was being played, seeing a very mad person from Wisconsin, his car in the parking lot. I didn't see the individual, just his car. He had uh, hand-painted cardboard signs on his windows. And one of them read, global warming is real, God is not. Well, I would say both, because God says one day that this earth is going to be judged with fire, it's going to burn up, so there's going to be a global warming. but. God also is real, and we're here to worship him. And as we get into the book of Colossians, it speaks all about the headship of Christ. And it's divided into two sections, uh, the first two chapters, really focusing in on the work of Jesus Christ, although it talks about the body of believers, as Paul speaks of himself and Timothy, and those in Colossians, Laodicea and Hierapolis, who is also named in this book, and probably the only place that's named in scripture it is the only place named in scripture but there was three cities that basically formed a triangle about 100 miles away from Ephesus 100 miles east of Ephesus and they formed this crude triangle in the Lysus valley that was destroyed by earthquake in AD 61 now Paul makes no mention of any earthquake so it is assumed that he either didn't know that there was a great devastating earthquake had taken place or it had not taken place. And he had written this, and I believe he had written it just prior to the earthquake Earthquake taking place, just a year or two before. Uh, all three cities that formed that crude triangle would be destroyed and have to be rebuilt again. And the thought of that, as many of the people who received these letters and as they shared the letters that Paul wrote to them, and we know he, for example, wrote to Laodicea, but we have no evidence of that letter, but he mentions uh, they're swapping out the letters to read one another's uh, epistles to each other and to share them, that some of these people would be in heaven's glory before long because of the earthquake, unless God caused all of them to escape Their lives were going to be devastated, even if they survived. Devastation was coming. We find in life that that's how it is so often, that there are great and devastating things happening in the world. They're happening all the time. I don't know if you read the news this morning of just a discovery down in Texas of five children and three adults who were found killed in a house. And they're still trying to explore what took place, what exactly Happen, And they're not saying yet, but it's breaking news here on a Sunday morning And it seems like we're having too many of these breaking news stories happening each and every day There's devastating things that happen Quite often. They're happening maybe in another part of the world But sometimes it comes to our own lives our own communities and you know life can be going on as normal for some people and things are going well while the neighbor next to them are going through they're going through such difficult times horrific times and Paul's writing to a group of people that we never read of him visiting this city it is believed that they came to faith as a result of his ministering in Ephesus for two plus years when at that time the word tells us that he taught daily in the school of Tyrannus, and all those in Asia heard of the name of Jesus Christ. That is, he was teaching and kind of plotted himself down in one place, that people were going out and spreading the good news, and and we're going to meet one of those servants who went forth to Colossae. It was his own home. He went back to his home to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, a church was birthed, and Paul writes to them, To share and talk about the headship of Jesus Christ. He's doing so because by this time in the church, there were some pretty bizarre teachings that were, that was taking place. Another story I read this morning was about a First Baptist church in Greenville, South Carolina, who used to be a Southern Baptist, of the Southern Baptist denomination, they, in that denomination, uh, the very first Southern Baptist president came out of their church back in the 1800s, a long time ago. But just a few years ago, they decided they didn't want to be part of the Southern Baptist denomination anymore, and and they pulled out. And now they have stated that they are going to allow uh, gays and transsexuals and homosexuals to... Uh, be baptized, be ordained. Uh, they didn't go into specifics, but they've just opened the door. And there were some b- bizarre teachings happening in this time that Paul's writing about. And there are some bizarre teachings happening in our day and age as well. You know, that frightens me. I'm on the board of love in the name of Christ here and have been for 10 years in Lake County. I only took a year off while Lily was dealing with her breast cancer. But... um It's an organization that works with churches to help those who have need, and I think that this is going to be a great issue because we have churches in Lake County. There's over 400 churches in Lake County, and I can tell you not all 400 churches hold true to what we would feel the foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was dealing with those issues, not the same issues perhaps, but similar uh, issues that in the sense they were deflecting from the truth of the gospel, preaching another gospel. He would say that in uh, the book of Galatians, but here we find that he speaks about the headship of Jesus Christ. In the first two chapters, really zeroing in on the attributes of Christ himself, speaking of church doctrine, and then chapters three and four talks about practical application I like the practical application because it's good to know where we stand as believers in Jesus Christ, but we also need to know how to apply it to our lives, that we can function rightly in the world that we live in. And so as we begin our study, my plan is to break uh, each chapter into two teachings, and so it's four chapters long. I'm not sure about chapter four yet, but we'll be here at least seven to eight weeks looking at this epistle of Colossians, and I just want to read through the context today. We're going through verses 1 through 14, and then open us in prayer. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our brother, fellow servant, who is a faithful minister in Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened in all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And Father, I pray that you would teach us as we explore this short little letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae so many years ago. It may be a fruitful time for us to learn about these doctrinal things about the headship of our Savior, especially as we get into that next week and the remainder of this chapter, but even touching on it today. But Father, as we go on throughout the weeks, not only learning about doctrinal positions that we have in Christ Jesus and of God and of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, but Lord, how we can practically apply those to our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us and teach us this hour. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we begin in the first three verses, Paul saying, by the will of God, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he said, by the will of God. Now we had most recently in the New Testament book that we had went through was Philemon and there in Philemon in the very opening verse, he declares that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, he's a prisoner of the Lord here while he's writing this. He's in Rome at this time, awaiting trial. As he writes this letter, we know it's true because uh, Philemon and and the book of Colossians uh, have some similar ties that put them together. It is believed that they were not only both written at the same time, but delivered at the same time, and that Philemon was from Colossae, that they were delivered to the same city. He distinctly sets himself apart in the introduction of the book of Philemon. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But here he doesn't mention it until chapter 4. He doesn't refer to his being in chains, and he does in chapter 4 twice. He mentions being in chains. Once he mentions a fellow prisoner. So we know that he's a prisoner. We find that out at the end of the letter, but not at the beginning of the letter. Because I believe that Paul is wanting to use a little force in his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ with the church to whom he had probably never met before. How would you, I can tell you this, if I got a letter written to Calvary Chapel from a prisoner, I'm Frank, the prisoner of Lake County Jail, and I have a word for you from the Lord, it's not going to carry a lot of weight in the introduction for me. I'm thinking, well, what are you doing in jail? Going to have a bit of questions. He gets to that, he's a prisoner. Perhaps they already knew it, but he doesn't mention it because he wants them to know that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I have authority here to be writing this letter to you at this time. And so, unlike Philemon, Paul refers to his imprisonment later on in the letter when with Philemon he's writing to a friend concerning a man that was saved while he was in prison and asking in behalf of his friend that he would free him to service for Paul. Instead, he focusing on his current situation, Paul chooses focus on God, his ordination by God, and also of the majesty, the headship of our Savior as we go into this letter. Paul calls upon his authority as one of the Lord's anointed apostles to add weight to his words to the believers of Colossae here, a people whom he had never met. But also notice Paul knew that God had called him an apostle. It was God who had called me, he was saying. He said also in Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul had this similar statement often in his letters that I am an apostle, that I've been given authority. We read that as we were preparing for communion. We read that from 1 Corinthians 15, that he would also see the risen Lord, that he was part of that classification of men that had witnessed the risen Savior. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he wasn't writing this letter alone. Timothy was with him as well. In verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. In his epistle to Philemon, Timothy was with Paul as he wrote that letter. He's with Paul as he's writing this letter. As I said, it is believed that the letters were written and delivered at the very same time. And Timothy was there. Timothy had a special place in Paul's heart. In 1 Timothy 1-2, he called Timothy a true son in the faith. You're a true son in faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 2, he called him a beloved son. So there was a lot of men and women who were involved in the ministry that surrounded Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ. There were a lot of people who served alongside him, people who held great, a great place in his heart. But Timothy seemed to hold that very special place for Paul. He became a player in the church at that time when Paul and Silas went on their second missionary journey, and Timothy uh, was sent along with Silas to strengthen the work in Macedonia after the great uproar in Thessalonica. Once Paul and Timothy and the crew was reunited in Athens, Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica and the word tells us to establish and encourage them in their faith. And Paul calls Timothy in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So Timothy ministered alongside Paul, but he's also with Paul here while he's in prison. He was with Paul when they ministered in Corinth. He was with Paul as he made his way to Jerusalem where Paul would be arrested initially and then incarcerated there in Jerusalem and in Caesarea for two years. And now in Rome, as he's writing this letter, Timothy is around. Perhaps Paul had sent him on errands and caused him to go forth and minister to other people, but he's always back with Paul doing the work that the Lord had called him to do to be a faithful support. Of Paul the aged. Paul, as he grows older, Timothy would be one who would rise up in the church, continue the work that he had learned from the Apostle Paul. I'd pause a little briefly there for a moment. I was thinking some of the men who hung around Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, who, as we know, in October of 2013 went to be with the Lord, but some of those guys who stayed so close to Pastor Chuck, throughout the years, they're pastoring uh, churches to this day. One of them, for many years, equated as Pastor Chuck's bodyguard. Had a lot of people that didn't like the ministry of Pastor Chuck, and and there were protests every once in a while at the church. Although they didn't specifically target groups, as some churches do, and kind of bring about The reason of the protest, perhaps, Chuck would simply teach the Word and the truth of God's Word, and that's enough to get people mad at you. had a public format through radio and through uh, cable television and such. And so one of the brothers, Dave Rolfe, when we lived out there, Pastor Chuck was greeting people. Dave would be standing nearby all the time. He wasn't the only one. There were others, too. At that time, Dave was a superintendent of the school. He wasn't pastoring the church. I only heard him speak once in the two years that I was there. I never even thought he was going to be a pastor. It didn't seem that that was one of the driving forces of his life. He was just serving there at the church and doing basically what I believe Pastor Chuck had asked him to do. He was a faithful servant in the ministry that was required of him. But I'd heard once said of people like Dave Rolfe and Odin Fong and those who had been so near to Chuck for so many years that stood in earshot of Chuck when he was talking with people and counseling with people that they were growing in ministry just by being near and watching and observing and God is using. And Timothy's one of those brothers that he was near to Paul. and Paul depended on him Greatly. So much so in Philippians 2.20, the word tells us, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Paul said, there's nobody like Timothy, man. He's my son in the faith. And then he goes on in, in verse 2, at the beginning of that verse, he says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, he called them saints and faithful brethren. They're saints because the word tells us that they're saints. It's a hagios is the Greek word. And it means to be sacred or pure or morally blameless, ceremonially clean. It really speaks about the position that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are saints and and we find it in the New Testament. I know part of the church today teaches that we're not saints. And I know a lot of people in the church realize that they don't live very saintly lives but there is this mindset a, a saint is someone that has died previously a saint is someone that has played out a role in church history and if you keep taking it further and further they've been prayed to miracles has happened around them and then after a certain length of time with enough evidence they can be receive that title of saints but paul didn't have a problem with this remember If we are correct in the fact that he had never met this church personally, but is simply writing them a letter, he's still calling them saints. Because it's a position that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not saints because of the goodness that we do on our own sense. We have been qualified as saints because of everything that Christ has done in our behalf. He has sanctified us and set us apart by his blood, not by our works. It's by his blood and his work on the cross. And they're also faithful. It's pistos in the Greek. It means to be trustworthy or trustful. And they were faithful in the word of God at this point. So he's writing to the saints, the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In all 13 of Paul's epistles, you find grace and peace. It's always grace and peace. It's never peace and grace. It's always in this order because it has been said, and I rightly agree, that you cannot know the peace of God apart from the grace of God. Grace always precedes the peace that comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only difference in his epistles to Titus and 1st and 2nd Timothy, he still says grace and peace. It's still in that order, but he inserts mercy. In between grace and peace, when he's writing to Timothy twice, and when he writes to Titus, he says grace, mercy, and peace. Now the joke is, is that Paul understood as ministers of the gospel that they need a lot of of mercy from the Lord. So Paul says, mercy to you boys. His grace, yes, be upon you. His peace be upon you. But let his mercy be upon you as well. And we need The same today, not only his grace, not only his peace, but his mercy as well. It's his grace that allows us to be saved, but it's because of his mercy that he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. As the word says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's all of God's grace. That's all of God's mercy being extolled toward this sinful world of people apart from Christ to allow us to come into fellowship with him that we might know and have the peace of God. As often has been said, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace and peace, it was sent from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we also have access by faith, into this grace which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace. It's because of Jesus. And we have this access by faith because of God's grace, God's work in our lives. Grace refers to God's love in action through which we can find true peace. And Lord, may we truly have this heavenly hope that is found through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.